Welcome to the Tips in Salsa podcast, your local source for chips, salsa, and instructional technology happenings within the Redlands Unified School District. And here are your hosts, Jamie Quartz, Dwayne Coles, Nicole House, Caleb Rothy, and Jen Vadney. Hello, Redlands teachers and staff. We're back after a long pandemic-induced hiatus with another episode of Tips in Salsa. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm here with our amazing tech coaches, Nicole. Hello. Caleb. Hello. And Jen. Hey there. So we know it's been a while since you've last heard from us, and we're excited to get going again with some new episodes. We specifically want to focus right now on people in our district who are making strong human connections with our students during distance learning. We'll be working to bring you guests that can share a little bit about what they're doing to try to make it happen. And that brings us to our guest today, none other than RHS's own, Brian Rice. Yay! Hey, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here on Tips and Salsa. Thank you for the invite. It's great to be here. Nice. Before we get too far into the whole formality of it, we're not called Tips and Salsa for nothing. So we're going to uh, go around and talk about, since we're all in separate places, um, I'll start Tell us at least what kind of salsa you've got, if not the kind of chip as well. And if it's a, a yay or a nay, um, you know, I'm not really a spicy gal when it comes to salsa. So I went with a peach salsa this time. It's a little bit sweeter and it's a definite yay for me. All right. Nice. I'll go. Uh, my salsa is Stater, Bra- Stater Brothers homemade salsa. There's a sticker on top that says everyone's favorite and that is a true statement. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, my salsa is from Costco, and my chips are from Costco because that's how I, we roll in my household. I can't remember the name of the salsa, but uh, it's the one that comes in the container, and it's really tasty. It's, so it's a yay for the me. Costco salsa. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Brian, you want to go next? Sure. Um, I have actually some salsa that's uh, homemade by my sister-in-law. Oh. Um, so nice, that's that's, uh, nice. that's really good. It's pretty pretty spicy, but I like spicy food. Uh, and um, and then I have some chips from Trader Joe's. Yum. Yeah. Jamie, I don't, I don't have salsa. I have these um, vinegar pepper crinkled cut chips, which are <laughs> quite delicious. But one thing that I do have, and I'm just noticing this now, it's um, some lemonade, and it's got 53 grams of sugar in it. Which is 106% of my daily intake. <laughs> On top of my four cups of coffee. Uh-oh. I'm kind of, my heart rate's like 210 beats per minute right now. So this yeah, could be interesting. Yeah, you're going to have to run home, <laughs> burn off some energy. <laughs> you know, Brian, I don't think you know this, but our podcast has listeners around the world. Oh my goodness. Like, I think like we've been, we've had a hit in Peru and some other countries. So we are worldwide. Yes. Um, and so would you please introduce yourself and tell all of our listeners a little bit about your background? Okay. Well, my name is Brian Rice. Uh, I grew up here in Southern California. I did not go to Redlands schools when I was younger. I grew up in Banning actually, which is about 20 miles, you know, uh, East of Redlands. And, um, uh, it was a very small school, but uh, it was, had a lot of diversity. So um, 
it was it was a great experience growing up there. And um, I went on to San Diego State, uh, went to school there. And then I had actually a stint in New England for a little bit. I was in the University of New Hampshire. I, I went to in Durham right there. Uh, nice. So uh, so I was in New England for a little bit, got to experience New England in fall uh, as kind of an exchange program that they had there for a little bit. And I finished up at San Diego State, uh, came back to Redland, uh, came back, uh, started teaching for my first five years in Banning, actually at the middle school that I went to with the uh, teachers that I had. <laughs> so that was a unique experience, uh, definitely. Um, one of the teachers had the same posters up in the exact same place in the same exercises that she was giving at the time when I was an eighth grade student there. Then I, I was able to move to Redlands uh, after a few years, and uh, I worked at the middle school level for, geez, um, I started teaching in 95. I worked there, let's see, uh, for f I worked in Banning for five years, and then I worked um, at, in, at the middle school at Clement uh, for, geez, about 10 years or so, and then I worked at Rev. Uh, then I became a, a teacher on assignment and uh, was able to rotate between all of the different uh, high schools. So that was, that was a really uh, good experience, a fun experience, uh, seeing what all those different classes were like and what the schools were like from a, a, a bigger view rather than just being in your classroom. Uh, and um, when that program ended, I, I transferred over to RHS to take over the ELD program over there at Redlands High School. Nice. ELD. So tell us a little bit about those classes, Brian. What, um, uh, tell us about the kids and, and kind of the, the subject matters that you teach. Sure. Uh, my uh, first two classes, first actually first period is um, two classes put together. I have ELD one and ELD two, and these are ELD one are students. It is their first year in the country. The way the way that it works out is that they have um, one year that they can be in an English class that's um, unique, and uh, that's one of the English classes that I teach. Uh, and then um, then after that one year, then they're put out in, into mainstream classes. So we got one year to try and boost their English skills up. Um, wow. The second year they can have support. So that, that means that they're an ELD too. So often, um, so I have a mix of students from a variety of different countries. I think last year, this year's a little different, uh, but last year I think I had 17 or 18 different countries that were represented in, in all of my classes. So all over. So. And uh, so I teach those students. I have an ELD three class, which actually are the ELD long-term students. These are students that may have been here for a long time, but for whatever reason, they haven't reclassified out of the uh, ELD status. So they are in my, uh, basically an academic skills class. So I'm trying to get them, get their reading and writing skills a little bit higher up so that they can they can reclassify and get out of being qualified as ELD because many of them you you might listen to them or or hear them like oh they they speak fluent English but they they're lacking some usually some academic skills yeah. okay so and and just need that little push to get them over so there's that class I also teach a few sections of English English nine I have also a, a lab where I it's basically like a like a study hall. Uh, where I'm helping all kinds of students for all kinds of subjects. So I work with science and chemistry and history and math. I try my best at math. I really wish I knew more about math. <laughs> you brave souls that teach math, my goodness. So I help them and, and give them the structure, uh, you know, and, and uh, try and help them move along. And then I also have now a seventh period class 
that's a study skills class that's extra support. And that is all EL students uh, for that class as well. And that name's from Maine. Does that count as a different country? I mean, <laughs> you know, it is a different dialect up there. So it is yeah, a different dialect. <laughs> it's wicked good. It is wicked good. You have a lot of good ideas up there. Yes. <laughs> So, Brian, we are now about a year into the strangest educational environment <laughs> I think anybody could ever possibly imagine. Never could um, have imagined it. You've been in the trenches doing this and making it happen every single day. Can you share with everybody that's listening to the podcast, um, for you, what has been the biggest challenge during distance learning? I think, actually, one of the biggest challenges is having students feel comfortable and uh, having them participate and, in, and and engage with the lessons. You know, when you're in a regular classroom, when you when we, we were in pre-pandemic, when we were all allowed in the out, you could group kids, you could kind of work things around. You, you had your bag of tricks that you could use. And all of a sudden this, we have another platform where there's another layer that's in front of us for students who are maybe a little self-conscious or whatever. It is very frightening for them. It is very tough for them to, feel comfortable to engage in a lot of lessons. It is difficult for them to see themselves on camera or to, to hear their voice uh, recorded. Um, that is just making participation in class extra difficult. It makes it really hard. So I think just engaging students in, in, a, in a normal way. Normally I might ask just a regular question in the class and I'd get a couple of hands raised, you know, and I could, or I could call on students. Uh, but often now students can hide behind an avatar, sit there and, oh, my mic's not working, or maybe they type in chat, but they don't talk in, in the stream. And I know some teachers get upset with, you know, trying to work like, as, I think as long as they're engaging in some way, that's okay. If, if they're more comfortable with chatting, the, the problem it comes with is that when it's a long thought, then it just takes them, their, their typing skills aren't usually as good as their speaking skills. So it, it takes a lot longer for them to respond. Obviously, none of us have cracked the code on the absolute universal perfect fix for all of this. I think getting students to be engaged and kind of trying to tear down that wall, that screen between us and have those, that connection is really tough. What are some of the things that you've tried to overcome that challenge for students' general discomfort with learning through the computer? I really try to get to know my students um, at the beginning of the year. Um, and this is something that I tried actually even before uh, for the, the pandemic um, is I have the very first thing that students do in my class, no matter when they come in, is a questionnaire. It's a survey. And it used to be two-sided and it was had a lot of open-ended questions, but all kinds of questions like uh, what kind of hobbies do they like to do? Uh, you know, how long does it take them to, to get to school in the morning? Do they live with any siblings or anything like that? If you do a particularly good job, who do you want me to notify? Is that going to be your dad? Is mm. it going to be your mom? Is it going to be your grandma? So I have, and, and I ask them, you know, what do you, what, what are your, your, your aspirations? What, what do you want to be in five or 10 years? What are, so there's all kinds of different questions like that. And then I make it a point to not only just read all these and I put up there at the top that this is confidential, uh, that I'm not sharing this. Hey, look at here, Jimmy, he's gonna, you know, he likes to, you know, collect rocks and I'm, I'm not going to do that in front of the whole class, but I do have a, individual conference with each kid where I kind of like go and review it and um, I'll ask them questions about it. And, and I think in that moment, and they see that I don't share that information. If they share it, that's cool. But 
uh, I don't share, you know, uh, but that really is really insightful because you can see sometimes some kids that, yeah, they go to your school, but they live half an hour away because they're a transfer student or whatever. So they they have an extra drive or they have, they, they're one of eight kids, you know? So um, I had last year, I had, I had one student who they had, we had one computer per family and there were eight kids in school. It was really hard for them to be able to fight for computer time to be able to get their assignments done. So getting to know the students on a one-on-one basis is really key to my thing. Brian, how long does it take you to have those one-on-one conferences? Like, do you do um, after school during class when other kids are working on things? Like, how does that look? I try to do it during class. I, I would normally pull them up to my desk and, and I have a seat usually set up right by, by there. Um, in the remote setting, uh, I have a second device. Uh, so I have, I set up a conference link and I always have the same code. So if ever kids need to come one-on-one up with me or whatever, come to my desk. Okay. They can go to the conference link. I said, and, and then I'll put it in the chat. I'll put a link for the new Google meet and then the code. So um, anytime they need help and that's in the chat, they can come there and then I can talk to them one-on-one. So I usually do it where the kids are working on something else and I can, it, I would take maybe, maybe just a couple of minutes, but I mean, you know, you start having a lot of students, a couple of minutes every day, it adds up, but I just have usually my stack of papers and I just go through it. Maybe I only get through five kids that one day and okay, the next day I get through five more. So it takes a couple of weeks, but um, it is nice to be able to meet with them one-on-one. I've, I've found the one-on-one conference to be so such a, a strong tool for teaching because you can really understand a lot more what, where they're struggling and they're a lot more likely to speak up. Yeah, I imagine, especially in this environment, that becomes kind of a game changer to really establish that rapport and that connection with each one of the students. Um, Brian, I'm wondering from just a technical standpoint for any teacher that's listening and and goes, I want to try that. How do you do that? Is that basically just like two Google Meet links, one that everybody is in, and then like a secondary one that a student can hop into instead? Right, right. Uh, So I have my Meet link that's attached to uh, my Google Classroom that's right there. That's my main classroom, basically. Okay, so that's opening the door and that's, that's the room. Uh, coming to my desk, I basically, I just type in, uh, I go to Google Meet, copy the URL right there, put it in the chat, and it's, I think it's, you know, googlemeet.com or whatever. Um, and then I put in a, a code, okay, so a code with my name and there's a combination. Uh, so, so, and that's been the same since March last year. I started this back then. And so the kids, so some kids just automatically remember it, but many kids still, I think, because... I even posted, I've, it's posted on my Google Classroom. There's a link there available. And then I'll usually put it in the chat. That way the kids know it's open. So I'll go on a second device, start that link before, and then post it. So then they can come in. Every once in a while, we do have some issues with the sound where there's a little echo. So I got to make sure I'm muting one while I'm doing the other. But uh, it's worked out really well because kids can come see me that don't normally speak. I love it. So easy to do and probably a huge game changer for so many. Yeah. Uh, having two devices or multiple devices really can, can open up things with you. If you're stuck with one, it, it, I mean, if that's all you got, that's all you got. And you probably could manage, but having two, it makes it much easier. Yeah, that's exactly. awesome. I mean, that, that's been a question that people have been asking since the beginning of this whole pandemic is how do I have a one-on-one conversation? It's, it, 
And, uh, you know, obviously in a traditional Zoom setting or meet setting, you can't do that because you're having a conversation in front of everybody. So uh, we had we had actually kind of thought of exactly what you're talking about, but you're you're the first person that I've heard of personally that's done it. Great. So nice job, Ryan. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And I love that you're taking the time to build that relationship with the kids, because at any age, that really does make a difference, right? I mean, whether it's the elementary or middle or high school, that like Caleb was saying, just having that rapport with them makes a difference if they're going to be willing to participate or, you know, do the work for you, all of those kinds of things. So um, it's interesting to me how you said at the beginning of all of that, that, um, you know, back when we were in the out, as you said, which I love, I'm going to be using (laughs) that now, um, in in face-to-face teaching the, um, you know, you would do it one certain way where you would have the kids come up to your desk and you were able to adapt that to what we're doing with distance learning. We all know there was no training for this back in teacher school. (laughs) I mean, nobody ever told me how to do this. We've all kind of figured it out on our own as we've gone along and and worked together very well, I must say. But um, what other kinds of things have you kind of had to adjust or change over the year to make it work for distance learning? And I'm not just talking about things with your students in your routines, but what about like grading and, you know, attendance and, and homework? Has any of that changed for you? Yeah, that has, that has changed quite a bit. Um, noticing the, the, the difference in participation and engagement. Actually, I started, I stopped calling it participation. I usually call it engagement. So I call, I, I have a category, there's participation slash engagement. And now I think I'm going to change it again. It's going to morph again to engagement slash bravery points. So I like that. And yeah, so because I really want to, you know, like, even if you have the wrong answer, you're, you need to be brave. You need to come up to the bat and swing your bat. Because if you just stand there and let the ball go right past you, use a baseball analogy here, it, it, you're automatically out. But I think that, that many students, you know, fear being wrong. I I gave out a survey for for my kids a while ago and many students with it, what, what prevents you from participating and and they many of them wrote down that they're they're afraid of getting the wrong answer. Yeah. You know, and it's one of the things that we we shouldn't be calling kids smart. We should be rewarding kids for working hard and making an attempt and trying something new. Because if we say that, that they're smart, they have that as like little poker chips or whatever that they're gonna lose if they get a wrong answer. But if you reward, reward them for anyway, so I, I think I got way off topic there. No, I uh, love Nicole. that. And I you know what? Like, so is that something that you would take back into the classroom when we are face to face again? Because oh yeah, good question. From participation to um, engagement and bravery, just totally changed the entire conversation and the feel of it. Just was so much more positive. So um, that was awesome. I really I love that you're using that as as a word. So Jen has a question. Yeah, I, I I'm glad we kind of went down this tangent a little bit. And I want to highlight the fact that you put out a survey for students to ask them what would make them feel comfortable, what's blocking you from participating. Mm-hmm. So reaching out to students, gaining or getting their feedback, and then listening to that feedback and using that to change your practice is huge. Like that's another piece that you're highlighting um, as a practice in your classroom to, to create that environment that kids know I belong here. And this teacher listens to me. He wants to get to know me. 
and he wants, like, it's very clear that he wants me to succeed. What I love about it is it sounds like a partnership. And I think that's teaching at its best when we think about it as a symbiotic relationship between teacher and learner. And Brian, it sounds like you've done such a great job of making that evident for your students and reiterating that over and over and over again, um, especially in distance learning. Right now is the most important time to be able to be humble as a teacher and go, hey, what's not working about this for you? What sucks about class right now? Tell me, and let's try to find ways that, to make it better for you. Um, that takes a lot of bravery as an educator to, to go, I'm gonna ask this question to my students and then solicit a response and turn that into to action on our part. I love it. You get some bravery points. Yay. So, <laughs> so Brian, I've seen kids actually um, for the first time coming together in our district in the learning hubs for middle school. And um, also I got to um, help proctor the PSAT for high school kids a couple weeks ago. And it was so incredible to see these kids come together in person with their classmates for the first time for many of them this year, other than maybe athletics. Um, So so the idea is the kids are starved for connections. They're starved for connections between you, between each other. All they really see all day long is the Hollywood square grid of just faces. What, what what can you do? What what do you do to like, especially with language barriers? That 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 makes it even harder. So what are some things that you're able to do to kind of connect these kids in, in uh, not only just with group work and everything, but in an actual human way? I don't know. You know, I I, I do a couple of other things that um, that I think help the kids. Um, one of the things that I saw somebody else, I totally stole this from somebody else, is that when class starts, since I have my second device there. I I usually play music. Uh So there's like an intro to the Google Meet and it makes for a nice little transition into, oh, this is before class. And then it gets us to start class on time. And then hopefully kids can kind of join in early. That gives me also some more time. Hey, how's this going? How, How are you guys feeling? And then you can even put out a quick little poll of, you know, even unofficially just through the chat, one through one through five. How are you guys feeling today? You don't have to explain it. One through five. Boom. Okay. Yes. And kids that's low risk. They don't have to say I, I, it's a three today. I'm just, you know, it's a two, whatever. Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. It's a five. And so it gives you a quick sample, a snapshot of how things are going. I've done some silly things too, where, where also, especially if the kids are working on a long, longer project, they're working on an essay or they're working on something else like that. I'll do a random stretch break for two minutes <laughs> and I put on a timer oh, and a stupid little, a little dancer. <laughs> yeah, like a go noodle. Okay. Um, I I just tell them, look, if you turn your camera on and you get up and stretch, I'll give you extra credit points. I know it seems really silly, but actually sitting here for hours and hours is not good for your body. It's good for your, your, your blood flow to get up and stretch every once in a while. And if I have to sacrifice two minutes, two minutes of the whole class or whatever, just, and it's every couple of weeks, it just comes out randomly. It's a chance to earn extra credit. A lot of kids will take me up on it. You know, some still don't want to, you know, I'm like, you really want to, it's easy. You know, just get up and stretch. You don't have to dance. You just got to get up and stretch. And, you know, that comes with, you'll perform better as well if you physically do that. It just sounds like your class is a partnership, Brian. They are considered, you know, just how they are feeling that day, how they are feeling as learners, how they are feeling as high school kids in the middle of a pandemic. And it just can't be understated. It's so important. Um, what you're doing. 
one of the best compliments I ever got when uh, I started out teaching was that it was a girl, a student in my class, and she just she came up to me and said, Mr. Rice, this doesn't feel like a classroom. This feels like home. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah, I've been striving to, to, to meet that ever since. And, you know, it's awesome. So it's yeah, awesome. You've shared some of the ways that you've used tech, one being using two computers, you know, that allows you to have one-on-one conferences with students. Um, what other kinds of tech tools have you found to be beneficial during distance learning? Well, there's there's some great ones. I mean, a couple of years ago when I was a TOA, uh, one of the earlier sites that I found was Edpuzzle. I, I couldn't believe other people weren't jumping on that you know, that bandwagon there so early because I thought that was a great tool. So that's been one that's, that, that's been really effective. Yeah, Brian, I mean, there's, there's so many. Could you give us a quick overview for anybody that that's heard of Edpuzzle, but doesn't know what it is. The, the name to me has always been bad because it sounds like yes, you're doing puzzle, you know, jigsaw puzzles on the screen. What <laughs> is it in a, like in an elevator yeah, pitch? I agree with you completely on the name. It's a bad name for a great website, you know, um, cause it, it's not a horrible name, but it's just, it doesn't, mesh with what it is. Um, basically, uh, Edpuzzle is a website where you can either use videos that are uh, there or go through YouTube and go through other sites, upload videos, and you have a lot of different options. You can ask questions, you can pause the video and put in even text in there to kind of highlight something you want the students to look at. You have a lot of options. You can, you can make them uh, have a multiple choice question. You can have a long, a long answer uh, question or other things like that. So it's a basic uh, interactive with videos and be, being able to create questions and uh, see how they're actually comprehending. You can, there's a lot of cool features on it too, where you can kind of make sure that they watch the whole video. They can't just skip ahead. It seems like it was really well, well designed by teachers, just not the title. Yeah. Real quick plug for everybody. Um, Edpuzzle is awesome. And I love that Brian is using it regularly. If you're listening to this and you'd like to get going with Edpuzzle, you can reach out to myself, Nicole, or Jen at any point. And we'll tell you everything we know about it and get you going. It's it's one of truly one of the best tools that you could be using um, for distance learning right now. So Brian, given that there are a lot of language barriers in your class, can you speak a little bit to some of the, the techniques and the strategies you use that create an inclusive, inclusive environment so that all of those students are able to access the information and, and be successful in your class? Well, one of the things, you know, when you're talking about language barriers, there, there are a couple of simple things and we could talk about them as being like EL strategies, but really they're kind of like universal uh, strategies for, for good teaching for everybody. And they're, they're small things usually. Okay. So when you show a video, turn the closed captioning on is one of those simple little things that for anybody who is struggling through a language, if they need that little bit of a, uh, you know, cause if there's, they're listening for something and they need a little bit of a to catch up with, oh, I didn't hear what that word was. What was that? Oh, okay, I got that. Now I got it. It adds that extra layer. And I know some people don't like seeing subtitles on the bottom of, of the film, but you get used to it after a while and whatnot. But uh, it really that really can help EL students. And it can help all students, especially, you know, that the one that just is not paying attention fully. And all of a sudden they, they need that little snap back. Oh yeah, what they say is down here. That, that works for all students. Another thing, I, I, often we, we may give um, a lot of oral instructions where we explain this is what we, we need to do, but 
One of the great things about Google Classroom is that you can reuse the post if you have a similar assignment and have the instructions in there, have the criteria in there, have a rubric in there. And I know it's a lot of extra work for that, but uh, it really does help. You know, say like myself, when I'm, when I'm helping for like the study hall class, where I'm helping students in other classes, when I see a teacher has written out the instructions, oh, you have to do this, this, and this. These are the, this is the criteria for that. And sometimes we, we get out a lesson real quick and we, we explain it to them in the, in the class. But what happens for those kids that either the sound went out for them for a couple of minutes, they don't have anywhere to go back to. So having that written instruction for all of your assignments, somewhere where it's posted with the, the assignment in Google Classroom really can help. So those are just some, some tips that are like really small things, but it really does help a lot for my students because often I will have students that are translating from other languages, you know, just and they, they kind of get it, but then not every single word is understood. So they, they have to go to Google Translate or Microsoft Translator. Out of curiosity and for the, the listeners, how, what are some of the different languages that are in your class? Uh, okay, so we have Mandarin, Cambodian, uh, Spanish, obviously, Portuguese. Last year I had French, uh, Korean. I have a couple of students from Korea, Serbian. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other, you know, it, it, it rotates every year, but that's uh, a lot. But yeah, I have. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Everybody thinks, oh, you speak Spanish. Yeah, a little bit, but um, that only is that. That's our largest language. Oh, Arabic. What, what am I talking about? Arabic. A lot of a lot of Arabic. Uh, Tagalog, in the Philippines. Yeah, Vietnamese. Uh, there's there's a lot of different languages that we have. Brian, um, you mentioned Google Translate. You know, students can take those directions and drop it into Google Translate or Microsoft. Then students can read it in their own language, their native language. Just to let our listeners know, Google Translate is an extension that is unblocked for Redlands Unified students and staff. So it's it's there, it's available to use for all students and staff. I just wanted to circle back to one thing that Brian was talking about. When he was talking about some of the things he does, like closed captioning and writing out the instructions in Google Classroom rather than just giving them orally, those are all self-service strategies and techniques for students. And so there's, I love that that was kind of the common thread, Brian, of anything you can do as a teacher that gives students the ability to access stuff in a different way or access it at a different time or access it on their own uh, empowers our students, gives them agency and teaches them how to be resourceful rather than relying on us to repeat the instructions or something like that. And it eliminates a lot of those choke points where a student might be stuck at home after the class because we've provided a variety of ways for them to get the the information they need. All right, so Brian, we have heard amazing things that are happening in your class um, and what you are doing with your students. But one of the things I think that really struck a chord for all of us, I know for myself especially, was that we heard that you encourage your students to use their own strengths and to challenge themselves academically. So would you speak a little bit to that and how you're doing that and encouraging them? In, uh, in my study skills in my, my lab class, I have the students write out goals for the quarter. So we do a quarter goal. Um, they have to write and I show them what is like a smart goal. So it has to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So I give them a presentation with that so that they can see that what it has to fit those requirements. And I make two that are required, one that's optional. And then 
as the semester goes on, that is kind of how I'm measuring them based on the goals that we kind of create together. So it, it gets them to kind of look at, okay, these are the areas that I need to work on. These are my strengths. How can I maximize that a little bit? You know, are the missing assignments killing me? Because I might do well on tests, but the missing assignments are doing it. Or is it the reverse? I have no missing assignments. It's the quizzes. It's the yeah. quizzes, the quizzes. So having them look at that and try and examine it. And once again, we're doing that in the, in the conference where it's one-on-one. And I might meet with them, you know, every couple of weeks, but for just a couple of minutes. It has to be something that I can have access to through, usually through Aries. So that helps, that helps them come up with their goals. Hopefully I'm just pushing them. With the conference, with a one-on-one, I think it does allow them, oh, okay, yeah, I do need to, you know, they're not saying it in front of everybody else. That would be really kind of tough. But for them to, to say one-on-one, I, I do get a lot more conversation. One of the biggest things that sounds silly, but is to listen. Right. Listen. Just listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Take a couple minutes. And then all of a sudden, if you, if you can come up with, you know, um, some understanding of where they're coming from, okay, well, we can give you some extra time on that. I see that. That's great. Yeah. I really like that. And I, I like, again, like you said, that really is that relationship and just starting with that. And then hopefully they're able to take that skill and apply it in other classes and apply it in other areas of life and, you know, setting those goals for themselves. That really is something that will help them through all parts of life. So that's really encouraging. They struggle with it first too, because they say, I'm going to do better in math. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Great. But you know, by the end of the third quarter, I will have a plank percentage or higher. That is a lot more, uh, it's measurable and it's timely. So, it, and, and they're like, you have no numbers in there. You, you got to have some numbers for it to be a goal that they can be objectively measured. Right. We got to so, quantify this somehow. Come on. Exactly. There's the word. There's those math words again. <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're worth a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously, with them being English learners, the, the objective for your classes is to get them redesignated. So what are some of the things that you, um, you do to kind of get them prepared for the future success? Well, there are three things that they need to get redesignated. Uh, number one, they need to score a, a four on the LPAC. Okay. Um, and that's coming up. Um, we get, we're, we're, we're having students practice the LPAC and getting ready. Some of that can be um, simple vocabulary where, you know, we're making sure that we're using that vocabulary in our everyday lessons, using the word claim, using the word supporting evidence, using some of those, because those come up in the LPAC and making sure that you're using that throughout the year makes it so much easier once they, they see that they're like, oh, I know what that is. I know what a claim is, you know, but for them to ask that question, well, what's a claim? They can't ask it when they're taking a test and you can't answer it. That's, uh, that's one of the things. The second thing is that they need to have a C or higher in their English class. And then there's a district component. And that in the past has been uh, the common assessments. Not really sure exactly if we're going to use our common assessments this year, or we're going to use common assessments next year. That's kind of up in the air. One of the other things I do in uh, my, my period six class, my, my lab class is uh, I teach them a few academic vocabulary words and I don't give them the definition. I give them two examples and then ask them what they think it is using context. I want them to practice that skill because that when they come to a, a word that they don't know on a test, they always they not will not always have a chance to look it up. They won't have a dictionary next to them. They won't have a phone next to them, but to practice that skill. And then we even talk about it. Oh, what were the words in here or phrases that helped you learn it? So they're teaching each other. Oh, well, I figured it out from this. And then I figured it out from this. 
okay, you could use both of those strategies and that helps build there. But it's something pretty short and quick, but we just do two words a day. Uh, but every day we do just a little bit and we're refining that skill of decoding language. I need to do that every once in a while. I come across words still as an English teacher with an English degree. I come across words, I haven't seen that one, but using the clues, I think it's this. I feel like if we go back over this tape and jot some notes, you just gave us like 50 strategies. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I like to talk. Thanks for the mail, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of energy. Definitely want to jump into your class someday, Brian. (laughs) You're welcome to jump on in. Yay, thank you. You talked about the universal aspect of your strategies. It goes along with that universal design learning. Yes, design learning. Um, is it time? It's time. It's time. It's time. time. If you're aware of this either, but we do a um, a hot seat, 60 seconds in the hot seat. (laughs) So I have a ton of questions um, and I'm just going to ask until a minute is up. Rapid fire, huh? Rapid fire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Comes to mind, Brian. First thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. All All right. right. I got, I got 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You ready, Brian? Uh, well, yeah, we'll try here. Ready, set, go. Mild, medium, or hot salsa? Hot. Google Meet or Zoom? Google Meet. What are you binge watching these days? Uh, His Dark Materials. What are you most looking forward to once COVID is under control? You can go out. Going to the movie theaters. Yes. Yes. Oh, the movie theater. Pre-COVID, how long did it take you to get to school? Uh, 20 minutes. Name three green items. Celery, green peppers, and lettuce. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate Brussels sprouts? Fried with bacon, uh, a seven, <laughs> an eight. <laughs> Is a hot dog a sandwich? It's a quandary. Uh, no. <laughs> What's your favorite time of day? Morning. All right, that's it. Time is up. Time is up. Sorry, I took too long on the hot dog question. <laughs> the, the really tough one. You got seven correct answers. No, just- <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that's a wrap, folks. As we've learned to adapt to all the changes that this COVID pandemic has brought us, it can't be understated the need for positive human connections, not only for kids, but even for ourselves. So on behalf of this entire, the entire department, we want to thank Brian and all the RUSD staff out there spreading kindness and care for one another. Thanks again for joining us today, and perhaps next time we'll see you on our award-winning, global-recognized podcast. This is RUSD EdTech. Signing off. This is all for the outtakes. We're going to be good. We've got plenty for this. What is that? Did you guys hear that story? It was an attorney who was doing some sort of meet Zoom thing. And he had a cat filter on. Yeah. And he couldn't get it off. Yeah. He's like, I assure you I'm not a cat. Hey, are those tortilla chips or did you just hold up a potato chip? No, it's a tortilla. They're those round kind. I was the youngest in my family. Therefore, I was the um, remote control. Yeah, Jen leads the league in uh, edits. So um, we'll just have to. Yeah. 
I don't think I'm that's give her a run for her money today. I don't know right. about that. I oh, think, okay, I think yeah. J- Jamie and I are either tied. Me and Jen tie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Hello, Redlands teachers and staff. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast can't start with, okay, here we go. Just, <clears throat>